Welcome to People's Church Podcast. One of the key things that the enemy throws at us all of the time is isolation. He uses that well. And when we isolate, we uh, are cutting ourselves off from what our souls need, often what our minds and bodies need, and we just are cutting off. Fresh hope is found in opening up our life. We started Fresh Hope, a series that we're doing this fall intensive on, and we covered the first two weeks on specifically relationships. In the first one, we talked about letting it go. You know, you got to break isolation and let things go. You can't hang on to the things that continue to eat up your soul. And then we talked the next week, last week, simply about take it up, taking up mercy, how the only thing that really breaks cycles is a little injection of mercy. And that's the hardest thing to give. It takes humility to receive mercy from God and from others. But it also takes a humbleness to give mercy where you are subjecting your own feelings of judgment and a sense of needed justice to God. And injections of mercy can absolutely revolutionize relationships. In fact, without it, the revolving of relationships just revolve around getting more and more entrenched in negative cycles. Mercy has to interrupt that and you have to give that gift. As a Christian, you've received mercy, so you know how it works. And it's required of you to give it. This week, we're shifting our focus to fresh hope for dreams and goals. Dreams and goals are something in life that the world relates to well because they take a look at say, you know, you got to have a dream for your life. and You, you got to have measurable goals that you're going to go for, break it out, put together a plan to achieve that and move forward. All of that is good. We want to broaden out that a little bit more from the mechanics of doing that today to looking a little bit deeper at a couple conditions that are necessary for actually success, achievement, forward movement, to experience that in the most healthy way possible. I have seen people set goals, say they've got dreams, set goals, and all those dreams did was take them away from their purpose. Because it was set too narrowly. It wasn't set with a God base. It wasn't set with uh, the right kind of motivations. So just having dreams and goals in itself is no magic. There is a fundamental underneath these things which brings health to them and brings God's partnership and power in behind them. And so we want to dig a little deeper than just a few mechanics on goals and dreams. You want to hear God's plan of success? God's plan of success is you're going to do life by doing life the hard way. The hard way. That sounds strange. God has a plan for your life, but it will require you doing things the hard way. It will require you making difficult decisions, paying certain costs, taking certain risks, and choosing the hard way of doing it. This is a principle all through scripture. It's even a core principle to what salvation is. So we've got the scripture, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. And it says this, go in through the narrow gate. The gate that leads to destruction is broad and the road wide. So many people enter through it. But the gate that leads to life is narrow 
and the road difficult so few people find it. Now the primary interpretation of this scripture is around salvation. More or less it's the same thing where Jesus comes in later and he says, I am the door to the Father. There is no other way to the Father. That's a narrow gate. He's saying there's only one gate. There's a narrow gate. And few there are that find that. There's a broad way and it's whatever way you wish to invent. Whatever way is the easy way. And he's saying that many people find. But I want to go into some what that leads us to. That principle of the hard way being a narrow gate but a way to life. And then the broad way being one that's really wide and anybody can go through this gate and many people do, but it leads to destruction. It doesn't lead to success. We could plug our relationships into this. There's an easy way to do relationships. You know what the easy way is to do relationships? Make it all about you until it all dries up. There's always an easy way. Problem is, the end of it, there's destruction. There's an easy way to do economics. The problem with it, everything dries up, and at the end of it, there's destruction. And so this principle of salvation, where we have eternal life at the end of a difficult choice in a hard way, the narrow gate, is a principle that applies to everything in life, revolving around our dreams, our goals, all the forward movement that you wish to have in life. These are not easy choices to make. So let's define the hard way. What is it? It's the habit of doing what is best rather than what is comfortable to achieve a worthwhile outcome. So you got to do what is best, not what is comfortable to achieve a worthwhile outcome. Well, take that to your last major discussion in your marriage and you might find that it was really tempting to take a side channel, the easy way, just shut up, retreat, or you engage and you begin to do what is best, not what is comfortable. Now you know why most people are going to choose the broad gate, the broad way, is simply because it is comfortable. You do that in life, you can have all the goals and dreams you want, and I will guarantee you that the end of it will not be something you build that stands, but there will be destruction in that. You will not achieve those goals. And if you get anywhere close, they will dismantle themselves because it's the wrong foundation. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 about the narrow and the broad gate in the message version goes like this. Don't look for shortcuts to God. Now the reason that's because the primary interpretation of the scripture is about salvation. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful, there's that word, for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. You don't build great marriages in your spare time. You don't build great businesses or great economics or great achievements in your spare time. That's not how you do it. It can't be done. And he's saying, don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. So goals and dreams, if we were to take now this principle of salvation and begin to apply that principle through to other goals and dreams in your life, 
takes a vigorousness and a total commitment of your life, a total focus. And it will lead you to life. It will lead life into your business, into your relationships, into every aspect of your life. If you're willing to make the best choice and not the comfortable choice. Because they never usually come together. The best choice is always going to be more discom- have more discomfort to it than that which is comfortable. Let me talk to you about the biggest obstacle to your success. We're going to spend a lot of time on this word today. The biggest obstacle to your success in every area of life is entitlement. Entitlement. You know what entitlement is? This is a difficult word. I, this word, this is, this is an exposing word for us because every one of us are going to have some relationship to this world that's been unhealthy, to this word that's been unhealthy for us. Let's give a little definition. First off, I am exempt from responsibility is the first principle of entitlement. I don't, I don't have responsibility for all this. I mean, I was born at the wrong time. I was born to the wrong house. Entitlement is an attitudinal disease. It's an attitudinal disease. It's infected your attitude. And it is that which interprets everything that happens around you and to you. It's affecting everything in our life, in our country, in our world. It affects families. It affects how people uh, uh, love and connect and are open with each other. It affects our business and our work ethics. It affects our ambition and our responsibility. In fact, it unfortunately affects churches. Where you see not a service mentality, but an entertain me mentality. It's affecting everything. And it's not getting any better. In fact, if anything, we are on a slide that's just picking up pace. It's not even age-related or generational-related. You can't say it's a younger generation. I know people in generations above me and below me that are filled with entitlement, and I know the opposite, where they are instead have chosen better, the better thing, the better way of doing life, the hard way. So that in the end, they might have life. You could say this is just a human problem. That's what it is. This is just a human problem. There is a couple different types of entitlement. There is global entitlement. That's the one we're kind of talking about here where everybody's got this uh, kind of deal. It's this person is driving me crazy. It's just kind of who they are. It's all about them. When they're at a party, they say, let's don't talk about me anymore. Let's talk about what you think about me. That's kind of just global entitlement. Then there's pocket entitlement. It's where you have a little protected pocket. It doesn't show up until you're in a certain situation. It might be as simple as a lineup where somebody ahead of you is delaying the lineup because they can't find their card or their, or their card uh, or they had to try and pull another card or they're having trouble with the pin uh, or whatever it is and they're holding you up. And all of a sudden, you're getting these kind of responses going on in you like, wow, this is really ticking me off. 
course, you never have those kind of deals. That's entitlement. You feel you're entitled to a smooth process, that it should just go through, that there's no way that you should experience this, that they're in the way, you see. Entitlement. It's kind of an interesting word. It's a difficult word because our, our relationship with it can be so daily and so unseen until it's stirred you up. This is an attitudinal disease. So how do you fight back? Well, you do have to do life the hard way. You have to start choosing the narrow gate. You don't want to choose the wide gate on this. You want to choose the narrow gate. I'm going to give you four things that really have to do with that. That you have to stop by doing uh, just what's comfortable. And you have to do what is best. In fact, I would say the people that I'm most aware of are, at are in a happy uh, state. Have greater senses of happiness. Maybe uh, you would say that they're just more content. Are, are doing the hard work to make for a good life, to make for a good marriage, to make for a good family, to make for good economics, to make for good emotional, mental health, to make for good financial health, but also we could even say physical health. These are happy people, but they chose the hard way. They build better relationships because there actually is a relationship that is based on choosing the best and not that which is uncomfortable. Let's start off with some of this. Let's give you four practices that destroy entitlement. You want to start dismantling entitlement in your life? You want to start doing it in your family? Here's what's got to happen. You want to start doing it in your business? Here's what's got to happen. Change I deserve to I am responsible. Those two words I deserve are dangerous. The moment you start thinking it, you're going to find that pocket. I deserve. Or maybe you're, you're global in, in, in that. Maybe it's every area of your life. But when you change the time responsible, absolutely everything changes. The phrase I deserve is very disempowering because it externalizes my source. It takes control and away from me. When I say I deserve, it's I'm looking outside to who should be bringing this. It takes the power away. I've got to sit around and wait for mom to give it to me, dad to give it to me, the church to give it to me, the government to give it to me, ah, God to give it to me. I deserve, I just sit here. I have no power, I scream and yell, I deserve it. It's a powerful phrase. And in our world right now, this is, this is a dominant phrase. I deserve it. That's not how God wants you to live is powerless. He, and that's what you're doing to yourself. When you live a life of I deserve it. If you say I am responsible, that is an empowering phrase. 
It puts me back in the driver's seat. Now I'm responsible, uh, gives me back my choice. I'm not looking to the externals that they're somehow going to be the source of this. I look to myself and the choices that I will make to produce what I want because I'm responsible for the outcome. You will reap what you Let's look at some examples. I deserve a really good job. Sounds right. I deserve it. I just deserve a, a really good job. How about try this? Try this instead of that. I'm responsible to do what it takes to get a really good job. I've got to get training. I've got to get interviews. I've got to meet people. I've got to go to the right training school, education, or whatever. I'm the one that's in the driver's seat. I can make all of these choices because it is my responsibility. Here's another one. I deserve a good marriage. Or I'm responsible to do the internal character work it takes to have a good marriage. I've got to pick up my socks. Really hard stuff like that. <laughs> I've got to apologize more. I've got to keep promises. I've got to be vulnerable if I want a good marriage. Another one. I deserve financial security. I am responsible to do what it takes to not drink maybe 14 Starbucks Frappuccinos every day and put that little money away. I want to be empowered by saying I'm responsible to take, to get what it takes to get the good things in life that God wants for you. You don't want to sit around and wait for I deserve. You put all the power outside you. I am responsible. That puts you into the game. That puts you into the driver's seat. I want to be empowered by saying I'm responsible to do what it takes. The Bible says this, uh, it, this way in Luke 17, 10. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Interesting. It's an interesting scripture because that scripture <clears throat> is telling us that even when we do these things to build and we're being responsible to take an attitude, remember this is an attitudinal disease. To take an attitude of unworthy servants, we've only done our duty. You're serving God, but you're only really doing your duty. You are, you are an unworthy servant. You didn't deserve the gift. You didn't deserve the opportunity. You haven't deserved what you've received in life. You didn't deserve to be born in this country with the advantages of this country. You didn't deserve these things in life. God gave them to you. You are just an unworthy servant. And we've only done our duty. In other words, we're supposed to do, these, do things right. Not because we deserve anything good. Just because God says, do your best. I'll give you grace. Do what you can. That's 
an attitude that puts you into the realm of being able to do some good things. Second, keep even difficult commitments. Psalm 14, 4. Be a person who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. That's it. That's it. He's saying, look, even when your commitments are going to cause you some grief, make those commitments. Keep them. Keep those commitments. You say, but there's pain, there's pain in this. Yes, there is pain in it. Sometimes you don't want to keep that appointment. Sometimes you just don't want to follow through with the commitment that you made for somebody. Have you ever been there with somebody else who didn't keep commitments to meet with you? Trust goes down. So when it comes to doing hard things, one of those hard things is simply keep your commitments. It's really a great principle in life. You know God keeps his commitments. The Old Testament and New Testament weren't always called Old Testament and New Testament. They used to originally be called Old Covenant and New Covenant. You know, uh, the difference is, of course, Christ is the author of the New Covenant, which is now, it's not by works, it's by grace. Uh, the blood of Christ is the only way in which our sins can be cleansed. And so this new covenant is based on what we do with the, with the communion, which was represented at the Last Supper, the broken body and the blood of Jesus Christ, which bought you a, into the new covenant to buy his work, not yours. In the old covenant, the old covenant was a covenant that was looking forward to the new covenant, but it was mainly with the nation of Israel. Now they're in a great big battle right now. They're in a huge battle as a nation. And we see that today. A lot of Christians are concerned that, you know, maybe they're going to get, you know, wiped out and there won't be an Israel. No. Psalm 83, read it. Ezekiel 39, last verses of Ezekiel 39, read it. And what you will find is God is promising them and saying, these people have been collected from all over the world. They've been brought back into their land and they will never again be dispersed. Because God is a God of covenant. He will keep it. And so as, as, as Christians have that tie to the Holy Land and things there, understand God's covenant in the old is not done. He has that covenant with that nation. And Israel will not be dispersed from that land. Why? Because he's a God of difficult commitments, of covenant even when it hurts, it does not change their mind. You keep your oath. Fourthly, take the role of the servant. Matthew 20, 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is a really incredible scripture because it lays out the God of all heaven Choosing to become servant to the thing that he had created. So he stepped away from his throne. 
and took up instead the towel. And that's why we celebrate the washing of the feet on the night of the last Passover. We celebrate the servanthood of Christ. He took that role. He, he was a, he, he's the only one that was entitled to heaven because he's perfect. He's the king of heaven. And yet, he didn't even live in his own entitlement. You weren't entitled to Jesus. You were blessed with Jesus. Entitlement, that is going to lead you into a very hard-hearted approach to all of life. It increases your self-centeredness and your isolation. It is very difficult on your relationships. It's very difficult to grow because your heart is bound up with what you think you deserve. And every which way you evaluate things in your life, good things, bad things, is always through that role of I deserve it. A servant doesn't work that way. A servant recognizes there is their role and it's an unworthy role to be able to serve the Lord, to be able to love in a relationship, to build intimacy and grow away from self-centered living and life and sin. And we can build things that have that heavenly value to them because we are not giving in to entitlement. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. You deserve Nothing. You have many, many needs. We all do. But you deserve nothing. That's a hard thing. The moment you go down, I deserve, you are definitely going to become very manipulative, controlling. You will have broken, brokenness in your cycles to a large degree. You don't deserve, but God is there to bless you. If you will turn that to a gratitude and a thankfulness of a servant that says, I'm just an unworthy servant, and that's a privilege to serve you. It's a privilege to have this woman in my life to love, this man in my life to love, this family to love. There's pain, there's difficulties, but it is a privilege. It is an opportunity. I am only a servant in this. Then your needs will be met in the most healthiest of ways. And you can build great things. Now let's just shift the gears a little bit on this to another story. Another story is found about this and it's when Jesus told this story, and it really reveals something about entitlements, and it's a story about investment. I'm going to read Matthew 25, starting in 14, message version. It is also like a man going off on, a, on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one he gave $5,000, to another $2,000, to a third $1,000, depending on their abilities. Then he left. Right off, the first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment. How many here, if you owned a business, would want to hire the first servant? You're nuts if you don't want to hire that first servant. I want that guy. I want that guy because he goes right at it, right after this thing. The second did the same. 
But the man with a single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. This is an interesting story. Jesus is dealing with uh, using money to deal with something really important about God and investment. You see, you have to understand something about your life. God has given you all kinds of wealth inside. He's given you the capability of a sovereign will to make choices to build things. But you have this selfish nature as we are all born with this and we can let it direct the wealth that God has put in and thereby live out, I deserve. Or we can let God do a work in our life and we can grab hold of what he put in and understand we have an answerability to him and that this is from him. It's not just mine, it's his. And I take that, what he's put in my life, and I begin to understand investment and I start to move forward in life, building life from this aspect of I'm responsible. I'm going to do the hard thing first. I'm going to keep difficult commitments. I'm going to take the role of a servant. Those first two did that. The other man had no sense of that. He would, not, he would rather have not had this investment. He would have rather just gone through life with whatever he could scrounge, without any great opportunities to build anything great. He didn't have an attitude of investment in life. He didn't have an attitude of forward movement. He only had an attitude of protection and security and dominated by fears. After a long absence, it says, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one given $5,000 showed him how he had doubled his investment. His master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, notice the change. From now on, be my partner. What was God looking for? Partner. God's looking for partners. Partners to build great homes and businesses, to build great lives, to the glory of God. He's invested in you these things so that you might become a partner with God. You don't think about it that way. We only think about it really in that it's either mine or I don't really want to connect with that because I don't want the responsibility of that kind of investment in my life. This changes the whole realm of how you view yourself. Good work, you did your job well. From now on, be my partner. Are you a partner with God in your economics? Are you a partner with God when it comes to your family or your marriage? Are you a partner with God? Or are you taking I deserve? To be a partner with God is a huge upgrade. Imagine this. Up till then, these were servants. They were only creatures of obedience. They were only to obey. Now that sounds like what God wants from you the most. 
But actually, that's just such first levels responses. He wants you to move well beyond just this concept of obedience. He wants to move you into partnership where you are leaning into him as a partner and taking what he's got and you are bringing what you've got and God is able to take what you've got because you are willing to do this with him and he is going to build some great things in your life and through your life. Partner. The servant with the 2,000 showed how he had doubled his master's investment. His master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. Now you say, well, okay, why the repeat? You have the one with the five doubles, two. Why, why do we have to have the guy with two? Why didn't he just tell a story with five and then one? Because all levels, no matter what you've received, whether one has received more, whether another has received less, is, doesn't enter into the economy of this. It's what you did with what you were given. So if you're given two, and you look around and you see somebody else, boy, they're, they're, they're a five person, you know. It's, I'm just a two. No, no, it's the outcome. What's the outcome? Be my partner. He gets the very same thing. Many people downgrade the investment that God has put in them because they do a comparison model. And they say, I'm not as strong or not as good or not as gifted or not as talented or not as... You do that and, and you're, you're not getting what this, this whole thing's about. Jesus is telling a story with a five and a two that doubled it. It doesn't matter. It's what you did with what you were given. That achieves the very same end, the very same result, which is be my partner. It's even hard to think in terms of being a partner with God, isn't it? A partner with God in what you're building relationally. A partner with God in what you're building economically. A partner with God in what you're building in your life when it comes to your ministry and your service to God. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. The servant given 1,000. Notice he talks the most. People with excuses and blame always talk. Master, I know you have high standards. Okay, who's he identifying as the problem right now? Master, I know you have high standards. He's going at the master. So it's just, I know that you're ridiculously high in your standards. And you know what? I can't really reach that high. I mean, I'm not, I'm just not wired that way. I, you know, I, I don't have all of the gifts and talents. I don't have all that kind of stuff. You know, master... I know you have high standards, and I hate, and you hate careless ways. This guy was not ignorant. He knew that this was an investment that God was looking for. That you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you. See, because master, you're the problem. Your standards are too high. You measure things too tightly. You always are demanding the best. You have no allowances for error. And because of that, you know, I know I would disappoint you. So, I mean, really, I, I guess I really can't. This guy doesn't understand what he's doing. But what he's doing is not only is he giving up the partnership 
potential with God. He's giving up the servanthood that he had. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. How many here are going to invest with a company right now that, you know, three years from now, you're going to get the very same thing that you put in? You're going to do that? You're going to invest in them? You're going to get the very same thing three years from now? Then you're not an investor. You have expectations of multiplication. Investment, God gives because he has expectations. And those expectations, yes, are high because he not only gives you the talents and the gifts and the opportunities and all of the structure of success, he gives you himself. Power and wisdom, encouragement. He says, I'll walk this trail with you. I got a plan for your life. I've got purpose. Do you know what this guy's doing? He gave up. He started down this little bit of a trail. Then he stopped. This guy almost didn't really get started. He was a servant that just wanted to hide in the back country. You're like, put me out somewhere where you don't really have to observe what I'm doing. I just want to sit and be comfortable. I don't want to make hard choices. This is an attitudinal disease entitlement. The story goes on. So I found a good hiding place, secured your money. Here it is. Safe and sound down to the last cent. This guy's completely out of touch with the value of taking breath. Can you imagine given the opportunity to build a great family and you take all that things that God put in you and five years later you just say, yep, here's the very same. No change, no growth, nope, just very same. No investment. No movement. Just think about that. This person gives up. They walk away from the opportunity. They hide from the opportunity. Now, here's the good news. We've all hidden some. But now is a day when you can start to choose a different journey and choose a narrower gate so that you need a narrow gate in your family and relationship world. You need it. You need a narrow gate. This is it. Why, by the way, you stand up, you make vows, you say things that are supposed to be for life. You say those things, you get a narrow gate. You get a narrow gate. But that narrow gate's important to you because on that narrow gate, the result is life. Life. The broad gate. Moment it gets uncomfortable, the moment's not matching up, you know. I just hide. The Bible is so plain about the investment. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. 
You mean I gave you an opportunity to breathe the oxygen on this planet. I graced you with gifts and talents. I have given you a great purpose to live for. I have that broken out in many different plans throughout your life. And you want the safe and sound down to the last cent. Not possible because it's risk that produces reward. The risk of vulnerability in relationships produces reward. The risk in investments increases the reward. Risk brings reward. Entitlement is trying to find a life without risk. Oh, I deserve it, but everybody else is to bring it to me. Well, the master brought it to him. What did he do with it? Nada. The master was so happy. Wrong word. Was furious. That's a terrible way to live. Exclamation mark. That's a terrible way to live. You just went and hid all the good stuff, all that potential opportunity. You buried it, and now after a long time, I'm coming back, and this is what you put in my hand? You got it, and you put it in my hand, and it's even got dirt on it because you dug a hole and put it there, and you hid it? This is what you did with this? Did you not know the potentials, the opportunity? Do you not want a partnership? What do you want? You don't even want to be my servant because you're saying, I can't serve a master like you because you expect too much. No, he gives you too much. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. Did you ever think that maybe not just economics and other, those kinds of things are not growing because of, maybe it's just cautiousness. You're so cautious. It's a terrible way to live. If you knew I was after the best, for you. I want you to have the best. Don't stay a servant. This guy wasn't even going to just stay a servant. He was disqualifying himself from even being a servant because he disobeyed the master. And so now he's not even going to be a servant. And we find that at the end of the story. But now he never grabbed the opportunity for partnership. I want you to have an opportunity for partnership. Do you know what I've got for you? This is just square one. This is just deposit one. Now we've got, we can walk a trail. We can go somewhere. Your life can be amazing. Your marriage can be amazing. Your economics can be amazing. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? What a great way to put it. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do the less? You do less than the least. The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I would have gotten a little interest. And then this summation, 
Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. And get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb and throw him into utter darkness. More or less his servanthood is over. He's not serving me. He's the one that chose not to. Partnership. What a remarkable concept. He's got a partner with you. Because you are taking and exercising faith that God gave you. You are moving away from entitlement. You are accepting your, it's you're responsible. You're not living on I deserve. You're going to do the hard things first. Whatever those hard choices are, you're going to keep even difficult commitments. And you're going to take the role of a servant back to him. And serve him with the kind of servanthood that makes you a partner. Partner. Wow. Wow. Let me finish with this one phrase and observation that the Lord makes in this. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. Your choice of safety and entitlements needs to be broken. So that things in your life can go forward. That investments can grow and produce. And the things that you want in life are back into your own power and decision. And to do what you know to do. And to live with the risk associated with building great relationships to live with the disciplines that are necessary for improving economics, to make the hard choices. You can do this. You got dreams and goals? Good. For the Christian, that's not the biggest question. The biggest question is one very simple. Have you become his partner? I want to give you a little assignment you can do. Choose two of these four things. Change I deserve to I am re responsible. Do the hard things first. Keep even difficult commitments. And take the role of a servant. Just two, two of those this week. Choose two and say, I I'm going to attack these this week. This is what I'm going to do this week. I'm going to do the hard things first. You know, they did a study of successful people, very successful people in all realms of life. And they had some factors that were very similar, but one of the most similar factors was this. Their day was, their day was planned different than anybody, other, people that weren't successful, than their day. And here was the biggest difference. In the mornings, they always did the hard things first. In the afternoon, they did the more likable things, the easier things. You don't want to kick the can down the road on those. And that might be something that you can take on is the next hard thing. What is your next hard thing? Take it on. It'll make you successful to quit avoiding and kicking it down the road. In the relationship, take it on. Take it on. Do the hard thing. Do the hard thing. That's how you will become successful. In your economics, do the hard thing this week. Do the hard thing. 
Let's stand together. Sometimes doing the hard thing for me is just exactly what I've just done. And that is to share as plainly and truthfully as I can with you a very difficult thing in our society today, which is on entitlement. Most people feel they are exempt from responsibility and are owed special treatment. That's not new. It's been around forever. Then I go right back to the garden, it's there. But only you can change that. Only you can change it. Being owed special treatment and being exempt from responsibility. Parents, just a word to you. If you embrace those two things and you figure out ways to structure that into your home, your children will do better. Entitlement will kill their future. I deserve a new phone. Really? Why? I deserve a new car. Really? Why? Father, I can't even imagine standing before you and saying, I deserve. But I ask, Lord God, that in this moment, in this congregation that's gathered here and those online, there'd be a few reality checks of how entitlement is working to keep us from the productivity and from becoming partners with you. You have invited us into partnership by giving us such great stuff and great opportunities. And we squander them, Lord. We hide them. We, we, we just don't do anything with it. Forgive us for that, Lord. Forgive me for doing that. Lord, may all of us just really embrace this honest moment and say, Lord, ah, I have not taken and invested like you have given to me. And I need to start doing that. So Father, help us with it. And may your presence Lord, be with us to strengthen us in these efforts. And even this week, as we choose a couple things to work on, Lord, I pray that you'll give us the courage to do so. Maybe this week a relationship turns around, eh, Lord? Because somebody said, I'm doing the hard thing, not the comfortable thing. Lord, that would be awesome if your spirit would prod us on it. Lord, maybe this week in areas of difficult relationships at work or difficult things that we have to decide around work and money, I pray that, Lord, you give us courage to do it because at the end of the week, we can have a much better strategies emerging and a much more focused life and plans. We are not entitled to anything from you. Everything we receive from you is a gift. Even the breath we just breathed. Thank you for it. We are grateful. May we take on that attitude of a servant becoming a partner and say, I'm doing something with it. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.